Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. We've got a great show for you today, but first, a word from our sponsor. If you know me or were to ask any of my teammates, you know that I put a very high priority on my personal fitness. And the reality is that it takes a lot of brain power to put together workout programs, to decide what you're gonna be doing at the gym each day, make sure you're hitting the right muscle groups with the right intensity, with the right amount of rest. Not everyone has that brain power to dedicate, but still wanna get into the best shape they possibly can. Luckily, the Ultimate Athlete Project is there for you. The Ultimate Athlete Project is an online resource consisting of a detailed workout program designed by a professional strength and conditioning coach. I wanted to learn more from someone who has been a practitioner and user of the Ultimate Athlete Project, so I spoke with... My name is Ben Denica, and I play for Prairie Fire out of Kansas City. I've played Prairie Fire for three years, and I've captained for two of them. He's been doing pretty well on the Ultimate Athlete Project. So in 2015, we returned to Nationals for the second time ever and improved upon our uh, 2014 finish by tying for seventh and qualifying for the Pro Flight, which is a first in our program history. Most importantly, what results has he seen? Personally, I felt like my endurance was better, my durability was vastly improved, my core fitness was much better, and overall stability, balance, and athleticism were all increased. It's a great program, and I would recommend it to anyone. For more information, check out the ultimateathleteproject.com and have your best season ever. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. If you've not yet done so, please make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you can stay up to date on all forthcoming episodes. We've got a ton of really exciting episodes coming down the pipe in 2016. Uh, But today's episode is with Adriana Withers. Adriana runs VC Ultimate Vicious Circle Ultimate, a Ultimate Frisbee apparel company that is more than 15 years old. One of the first Ultimate Frisbee apparel companies to ever hop into the market. If you are only aware of you know, the recent modern times, there's a lot of companies out there, but hers was one of the first, the first to meet the need of college, club, high school players looking to outfit their teams in great uniforms. And she goes into a lot of detail about what it was like starting the company. She talks about throwing parties to pay her rent, a ton of other really cool stories packed into a excellent half-hour interview. I encourage you to take the time to listen to all of her stories and pay attention to her challenge at the end of the episode. But I'll quit rambling and let her take it away. My interview with Adriana Withers. So, Gianna, thank you so much for coming on my show. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here and to talk to you. Uh, So, you are the co-founder and owner of VC Ultimate. And interestingly, you started your apparel company while you were still a student at McGill University in Montreal. Um, So, can you kind of start off by just taking us back to where the idea came from and uh, what what prompted the idea to, to try to start an apparel company? Sure. Um, so my business partner, Don Cooper, had the idea. He was the original founder. 
he was um, an ultimate player and saw just a, a gap, a hole in this market, so to speak, for ultimate apparel. We started off thinking that VC would be more of a like a streetwear or lifestyle line that complemented sort of the, the ultimate community. But then teams started to approach Don for, for uniforms, and he thought, wow, this has got some potential. So he brought myself and another partner, Ben Unsworth, on board. This was back in, I guess, late 98 or early 99. Don, Don had the, his first event in August of 1998. And at that point, I had a, um, some, I was young, but I still had some business background. I uh, worked retail selling skis and boots since I was 15 and had worked at another smaller retail store and helped manage my uh, godmother's headhunting firm um, in the summers from an administrative perspective. So I knew that I loved business and loved the organization of business. And and Don was more of the creative guy. So he brought me in to do that. And our, our third partner, Ben, was a, a tech wizard. It's funny, I was just looking on this historical website today and I saw our very first website. And it was pretty cool. Like this is like back in the day, but it was, it was for then innovative. It's kind of like looking at an old Star Wars movie, I guess. Um, but yeah, that was, that's how we got into it. We all met on the ultimate team and got along really well. And Don saw that we each had these different areas of expertise, so to speak, that we could bring into the company. And that's when we officially started the business as a partnership. And then now uh, we incorporated in 2000. So a couple a couple years after that. Cool. So how did you balance all that? Like while you're still continuing your studies and running this, was it just kind of on the side when you had extra time or <laughs> who said anything, what, what? who said anything about <laughs> continuing our studies? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, um, we left school. I think I was, I was two and a half. I left in my third year to focus on VC full time. Um, and Don maybe six months before I did, he actually, uh, went and did an apprenticeship at our first manufacturers, why well, he was he was working there, I guess, and really learning how to custom manufacture performance goods, um, and then I it just got too busy. Like I, I just couldn't I couldn't have balanced it. Uh, at this point, the college U.S. college market was just really getting organized, and there were college teams popping up all over. And it's weird because we were just starting to have things like email. Like we our first orders were getting faxed to us, and it just, yeah, it just blew up. Our first year, we had like hundreds and hundreds of percentage percent growth, and it became very evident very quickly that at least two of us needed to focus on this full time. So that's what Don and I did uh, pretty soon into the business's inception. Gotcha. And are all three of you still involved, or has some, has anyone left the business? Still involved. Ben um, Ben runs a really successful tech company, virtual reality company, or focused tech company. Um, Don and I are working together every day. Um, he runs our Toronto, which is office, which is very production based. And I split my time between Toronto and Atlanta and um, now Europe. One of the things that I've really been struck by, I mean, I've been involved in the Ultimate Frisbee community for, I'd say, going on seven years now. Nice. And the nature of being involved in the sport across all levels does seem to either select or train 
very entrepreneurially minded folks. So as opposed to like a high school club team that's run by a school administrator and you show up for the bus and then you show up for practice or, you know, a college program where they're booking all your travel for you. A lot of responsibility falls on individual players, on captains, even on player coaches to make sure that the the show gets on the road and and gets completed. So I think that that's, uh, you know, it seems very apparent from your story. Would you say that you've had a similar experience when dealing with people in the Ultimate Frisbee community? Yeah, it's unbelievable. You hit the nail on the head there. Some of the um, customers and the partners that we've worked with over the years are so phenomenally bright and organized and driven and really fun too. And that's, I think those are all things that if you looked at what makes a successful entrepreneur, you'd, you'd probably find a lot of the same characteristics. It's, you have to work so hard that if you're not having fun at it, then it's, then you're, it's not going to work. Um, and some of these players, like our, our sales rep in Atlanta office, Gabe ran, um, team in Florida for a long time. And he was, we identified him as being one of the more organized people we'd ever dealt with. And um, Dan from Spin was like, we got to hire this guy as soon as his application came across our desk for, for the same reasons that you've mentioned. He, he'd organized travel. He'd organized team, like just everything, uniforms, feedings. <laughs> like it just seems to go on and on of finances. I think that's like a, a pretty big one too. The fact that college teams aren't often, the majority of college teams in the U.S. are still not official, like certainly varsity sports. Um, And even if they're a club sport, the university or the college doesn't seem to give them the support that makes it worth having them handle everything. And so so many colleges are running this out of players' bank bank accounts or team bank accounts that they've set up. Um, and it's impressive. You you look at some of these events and you're like, oh man, this tournament budget's got to be $30,000. And here is a 19 or 20 year old student managing that budget. It's extremely impressive. Absolutely. You, you made an important distinction there. You, you mentioned the US-based colleges. Is it a different scenario for the Canadian college teams? It's, it is a different scenario. Um, well, no, you know what? It's probably the same. Most Canadian colleges will definitely be themselves organized. Um, there's a few schools um, that one of the ways we know of how organized a school is is if the school allows us to do their u- uniform. So we have an order in right now for a university who we've loved working with since the very beginning, and they now have to wear official uniforms made by a school-endorsed licensed supplier, and then they order their their uniforms that they actually like after the season's over from us. It's pretty fun. Um, and so it's, it's, it's definitely the exception still rather than the norm. I'd say that the school is really in charge of the finances or – um, whatever level of organization, it's, it's certainly no football club. So I want to talk about, you mentioned the expansion into Atlanta and now into Europe. I want to get into all that fun stuff, but kind of looking back at the beginning of VC as you're getting it off the ground, in doing some research for this interview, I came across, um, I don't know if it was a throwaway statement or a, a quick answer to a previous interview that you'd done. And you mentioned that when you were getting things off the ground, and you had moved into a new apartment that you were running the company out of, that you would throw parties <laughs> with over 300 people in order to like. pay your rent. <laughs> so it wasn't, uh, yeah, 
and there were way more than 300 people. Um, so this was not, was thankfully never an apartment that anyone had to live in, although it was probably as nice or nicer than anyone I have since. Um, so this was a, a big loft, like I think it was maybe 15... Uh, it's hard to think of the size. Like it feels so big in my mind. So a few a few thousand square feet, let's say, and it had a, a full row of windows looking down onto Saint Laurent in Montreal, which um, was at, at that time kind of the hippest street for going out and eating and partying if you were a student. And it was on the top floor, and underneath us was a, a big pool hall. So we would never get caught throwing parties because people were coming in and out to go to this huge pool hall bar called the swimming and that always had live music super fun um and we were right above them so we could throw these parties we would um buy cases of beer from our friends on the ski team who had a deal with molson's and just like i don't know charge 20 bucks a, a head or whatever it was and clear all of our computers out set up bars have a dj or we had live bands in the back sometimes um, the cool thing was that a bunch of our friends did live in a, a loft behind us, and they, their place was like three times the size. And um, so we could lock all of our stuff in their sort of storage area and open their house up. And so the, our front office was kind of like this warehouse party, and their back place was like this just huge, awesome loft party. And, yeah, we'd, we'd pretty much invite every ultimate player within like a few hours of driving because it would – throw it the same weekend as we were hosting um, the Unleashed and Untrained tournament at McGill. So all of the team, it was kind of like the tournament party too. Sweet. That that sounds like a lot of fun. It was really fun. Not not the smartest idea. I would never recommend somebody emptying out their office to throw a huge bender and invite a bunch of, um, well, the drinking age was really young in Montreal. So it wasn't, it wasn't an issue from that perspective, but it, the idea of it now makes me cringe because I know so much more about liability. But back then it was amazing. <laughs> nice. Um, when you were in that early stages, you mentioned you know you threw the, you ran these tournaments and you were you know there was a lot of orders just kind of coming in interest in teams you know outfitting their teams in professional good looking uniforms. Uh, did you employ any other strategies as you were getting off the ground to kind of spread the word and get more people aware of the VC brand and the business that you were running? Sure, we we did a lot. We, we drove all over North America pretty much. Um, well, not, not down to Mexico, but through Canada and the States extensively. Um, I remember I would get into our van with a friend and be on the road for like four or five weeks at a time, hitting up at like tournaments from Baton Rouge to, um, Louisiana for Mardi Gras or, I don't know if we ever made it uh, as far as driving to California, but we certainly went to Florida every year in the van uh, or Rhode Island, wherever wherever we could go um, to set up the portable store and get to know these teams. Um, it's one thing when you're sitting and digging through websites, trying to find any way to contact a team and introduce yourself. It's another thing if you can just do that on the sideline or um, at the tournament central or something of the sort. So that was, that was how we did it. We, we just hit up event after event after event, um, and built the awareness of the brand that way. Gotcha. Uh, another thing that VC was able to do was they were the first 
ultimate company to introduce sublimation into their design so uh, you can probably explain more clearly what the difference between screen printing and sublimation is but it was a you know kind of revolutionary unique design that I I maybe uh, it had probably been out a couple years before I actually started playing but even then there was this excitement of we're gonna get sublimated jerseys and, and there's gonna be this just new professional really stylistically appealing look to the uniforms to the uniforms for the teams. Can you talk about where that idea came from, how you came to be the first apparel company in the Ultimate Frisbee world to offer that? Sure, sure. So our first manufacturer um, specialized in rowing um, uniforms. Um, he was actually um, the, 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 the president of that company was our um, Don and maybe even Ben's rowing coach in high school in Hamilton, just like 40 minutes from Toronto. And so th in that market, uniforms had been really developed. And it's kind of like in cycling where um, sublimation was the norm for a lot, a lot of years before uh, we got into it. And so we had access to technologies and to expertise that were well beyond what you'd would have found back then if you were like if we had been just a bunch of kids trying to start a clothing business in Montreal which is a huge textile city we would have met all sorts of cutters and sewers and found fabrics and put it all together but instead we had this angle to really do this cool stuff and like our customers pushed us for it I remember um, for a while I was running production and I hated sublimation because I didn't know anything about graphics and illustrator and um, my buddy Sean McCall, who ran several um, really like popular teams um, and designed like well-designed uniforms, they were known for their uniforms with Notsuo or Double Wide. Um, he kept pushing me to come back with these sublimated designs year after year, and I was like, "Ugh, this is the worst." <laughs> but then we just realized that it was like a, an advantage that we had, and nobody else. Did and when Don came back into VC land to to run production after a couple of years of being um, away and doing his own thing, it was like he understands that he's the creative mind, so he understood the technology, he understood the process, he'd seen it all happening from when he had been working in the factory, and it was like okay, well we got to do this. This this is actually easier than what we're doing. You just instead of having to sew together all these multicolored panels and then go screen print and then get numbers done and all the rest, you can do it all graphically and digitally and go from there. But yeah, it was it was definitely customer pushed. I remember when I saw the first non-VC sublimated jersey at a tournament, I was not too pleased because I was like, oh man, that, <laughs> there goes that competitive advantage. Um, but at the same time, it's... Um, how long was that be before, like, when you implemented it and how long it took another company to... It, it was to, years, okay. like five, ten, six, seven, ten years, who knows. Like, so we made our first sub-jerseys in 2000. Um, what is it now? 2015. So I don't yeah. think people have... I don't think our competitors have been doing it for more than five years. Like, it hasn't really been the rage until three, four years ago. Um, well, time passes. It could... Maybe it's... It was a long... We were doing it for a long time before anyone else was. <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> Um, which is cool because now we do so much of it in-house and we have really talented artists and production artists who can manage it and um, 
we know everything, not every, no one knows everything, but we know so much about the process that we can troubleshoot. And um, like when we started taking over Lookfly's production, a UK-based company, we got into it and, and figured out ways to push the art capabilities of their sublimated jersey offering past that past anything they'd seen before. We we're just starting to deliver on those um, uniform orders, and they're amazing. So it's really it's it's exciting to see. We're we're still seeing um, the effects of our experience in it. Although my my favorite phrase still is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Sometimes my, my favorite sublimated jerseys are the most subtle, um, but it's it's pretty exciting having that technology at our fingertips. Gotcha. You, you mentioned taking over uh, Lookfly. You also merged with Spin Ultimate uh, a couple years back. How, as the company has grown um, and you've kind of pushed more into the States, pushed more elsewhere, how have you had to manage a company that goes from having one office to multiple offices and having you know clients all across the country that you're responsible for? I think it just comes down to the the team. We have an awesome team in each place. Um, it's always kind of growing, and uh, people are really finding their own footing in their their roles. So whereas I might used to have done everything in uh, for VC or like. Um, from sales to production at one point to events to whatever it happens to be, you start to find um, new people who can do what, what you were doing, but, be- but better because they're focused on it. So that is, that's what's best about what's happening right now is that people are really developing into their roles. Um, I'm really proud of everybody and, and the growth that they're taking within within that area. So whether it's like a production person in Atlanta, their job's not that different than the production person in Toronto. Obviously, there's a lot of hands-on stuff, but I think it was just about like systemizing and training and then finding the right people to fit into those roles. And then you could, you could technically, if you found the right people, you could apply those systems anywhere, regardless of where the office is. Gotcha. What were some of the first things that you hired for or delegated, and what are some of the things that you've still held on to because they're maybe your primary focus or strength or passion? Um, so the first, the, uh, the largest thing I can think of um, for Atlanta specifically was events. Um, we planned 130 events in the States last year. We went to 122 uh, eight rainouts. Probably most of those are Michelle Ng's fault because she has a weather cloud that follows her around everywhere. But uh, that was that's a lot, a lot, a lot of work and a lot of events. No, nobody could do that. No one person could really manage that without being Superman. Luckily, we found a, a Superman, um, Andy Wind, our events manager in in Atlanta. Um, so that's that's one thing that I couldn't have done if my with my attention so many other places or even Dan who's the president of the company down there he he couldn't have grown the business in that way um, without sole focus on that so Michelle Ng who I just mentioned and Andy have teamed up to get all those done and that was really cool because we really got to see players all over the states last year Um, and at the same time we probably went to 10 or 15 events in, in really close proximity so you got to know a lot of those players a lot better. It gives us a good footing to know where to to, to focus as a as a business too. 
Um, so the, and the other thing being is that, that 130 events, like I could never go to, I don't go to very many events anymore, but I couldn't, I couldn't go to those obviously because I'd be in four places at once. I, the thing I retain and that I, I can't imagine giving up on is the sales aspect. So the, like the driving of the sales team. Um, I love figuring out what customers want and what's going to make them happy and what we can do better and what we need to do to be different. And so I still manage that across um, all three of the businesses. Gotcha. And how big is the sales team for VC? So, um, well, I'm really excited. Next week we'll be announcing a new um, French-language focused sales rep, which is amazing since we're a Canadian company. We probably should have done that a while ago, but we finally found the right person who can represent us in both um, Canada and in Europe. So Europe will be three, Canada, one, two, four, and three in the States. So it's a growing number. Um, Absolutely. And then you take like every person who, who represents one of our brands at a tournament in a sense is a a representative sales representative it's just a, a different channel but that's pretty cool too if i if i like had to list every person who um, represents us in a sales manner which i have had to do actually because applying for work visas and all the rest it's a really awesome list of people sweet uh it sounds like the company is growing and and just more broadly this is a very exciting time for ultimate in general there's never been more events, there's never been more teams, there's never been more pro leagues, um, and there's also never been more apparel companies. There are more apparel companies popping up to try and you know fill in gaps or meet all this demand. As one of the kind of industry leaders, um, how do you think about the competition that's out there, both from you know established brands like Five and other younger brands that are kind of coming on and uh, finding their own place in the marketplace? It's a good question, and it's something that we get asked almost every time we talk about Ultimate uh, like as a market. They're still popping up. It's really surprising because there is such saturation at the moment, but I, I think when you look at how fast the sport's growing, as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's not surprising. It's, it makes sense that people would try to see opportunity in there. I, I used to focus a lot on it, to be honest. I used to think a lot about what other people were doing and and how we could do better than this company or, or get customers from that company or whatnot. And, and now it's really just about focusing on, on what we're doing. Um, it is really difficult to build custom um, offerings and be constantly producing new products. Every team uniform is essentially a new product, a new SKU, as you call it in retail. And at the same time, develop lines of your own branded apparel um, and make sure that you're able to offer the market, whether they're wearing your uniforms or not, um, a piece of VC gear, a piece of spin gear, a piece of look fly gear that they love. So, yeah, I don't, it's, it's, I, at some point, something's got to give and we'll, we'll see a, a larger company than five and VC few of the other little ones put together but until then I, I kind of think it's cool like I think a lot of it comes from rep uh, regional representation so a company that can be in one area like group of states and support 
what's going on there or or not. But I don't know. I think the differentiation factor is is important, and players and people who are making jersey decisions, uniform decisions, looking at what each of these companies offer um, in terms of quality and service and all the rest. And eventually, we're going to start seeing some of the, the smaller companies fade away a little bit. I'd, I'd think, but I'm to be honest, I'm surprised that hasn't happened. Yet, really, it seems like the the core group of companies is, is still churning along, which is which is great for everybody. Everybody's dedicated. Absolutely, one of the things I talk about with some friends and in just other meetings related to involvement with the AUDL is the support and just the actual existence of a frisbee economy. It kind of seems like a funny thing to yeah, mention, right? but the idea that you know there are frisbee media companies there are frisbee apparel companies there are these different frisbee brands and when you know in some discussions with uh, AUDL and management of the local Pittsburgh Thunderbirds team one of the things that I mentioned is I really want to see the frisbee economy flourish because it's kind of the I I say this almost every episode so I apologize (laughs) to listeners but it's a tide that rises all uh, rising tide lifts all boats one of my favorite phrases but it is the truth that you know, if as apparel companies grow and they provide better service, the teams are going to look better. It's going to help with the media coverage, and it just it's just a an upward cycle that we're all kind of riding. So that's that's exciting to hear and exciting to uh, thank you for your perspective on that. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, merger with these other brands and as VC has grown to um, you've been this industry leader, but taking on these brands, the challenges associated with incorporating spin and look fly into your pre-existing business structure. And if there were any struggles with that or lessons learned through that process. Oh, there's, there's new struggles every day, but there's, um, I think anybody who runs a a small business will say that there's struggles every day. I think the, the test is whether you have the team to overcome them and learn from them. And I think that's been the biggest thing with this process is that it's it's amazing because you get the opportunity to look at what two companies uh, are doing and try to pull the best out of each of them. And so there's a lot to learn from each other. And I feel like the first year really with, with Spin, really, it's been a year and a half now, the first year was really about trying everything. And we've been working really hard the last number of months to, to like define out of all of this trial and, and much error, what what's best for us and what's working best um, in terms of systems and product lines and, and all the rest. And so we have a, a great strategic plan and we have a path forward and um, everyone's really on board and excited about that. But that was like, you, ideally when you're planning a business, you have that stuff planned before you start the business. The, the issue when you're merging two entities that are already fully operating their own way. Like it's comical to be like, I'm on this date, we are now changing everything <laughs> and, <laughs> and thinking that that's going to happen. And let me tell you, that's not how it works. Like it's, I remember um, being on a flight when the, when the announcement got made. And so I landed to a pretty full inbox as you can imagine. And I was like, well, things are different now. And then as I trudged through work for the next few weeks and I was like, well, nope, things are just busier now. <laughs> like everything's <laughs> everything's the same, but, but a little bit tweaked. So it's, I, I think that was the, the biggest challenge is figuring out what, um, what may work for one won't work for 
the other and will certainly like there's no easy answer little things like how do you name your files to um big things like what's your policy on something like returns or refunds or, or whatever it is like small business decisions and and idiosyncrasies to to really large fundamental um decisions and how you run the accounting and and everything so yeah it was the whole thing was challenging but it's been really fun like i can't imagine a um a faster sort of masters of business than going through your first merger um with lookfly it's lookfly is a really established brand they've been around for a long time um always admired the ethical way in which they, that that brand thought and operated and tried to present products the european market has become really competitive in the way that the uh, north american market had a few years ago and so lookfly needed like it was either continue to be or like become one of like a, one of many smaller companies or um sort of bring in some rejuvenation and and grow to hopefully sort of be the vc of the european market which is which is how we've always seen them and it's been really fun because there's a lot of creativity there there's a lot of experience um like years like the the founder of lookfly steve has had uh, over a decade of doing this so there's not many things that you can say that he's like oh well we used to do it like that but that sucked and so we tried it like this and that was awesome and i'll be like oh okay because it was awesome when we did that but that sucked and then you you come to the middle and you hopefully you found something that's even better so we're we're at that stage now where we're we've relaunched lookfly's line um with a great new material um using fits based on sort of our our fit of jerseys which has been developed and redeveloped and, and tweaked over the years to be as good as we hope it can be and now we're just getting to the fun of it of how we reintroduce ourselves to the community with this new team who's really really stoked on everything and that that's what we've been doing the last few weeks and it's um been really entertaining and inspiring and lots of work but fun cool uh i'm going to start wrapping up here but i have a couple last questions for you um if you could go back and talk to yourself right as you're you know starting vc wrapping up at mcgill about the journey you're about to be on, is there any lessons or advice that you'd give yourself that you'd wish you'd known now more than over 15 years of VC Ultimate? Well, it's a good question because I'm um, in the process of writing a book about exactly this, so I can try and get these ideas. I don't know if anyone will ever read said book, but try and get all of this out of my head. <laughs> um, you know what, it's, you just know, the one thing, I think we were really driven and in the, and in the right direction from the get-go, but the, the one thing that I would tell myself is that so many of the answers you're looking for will be in the numbers, and you have to focus in the, the numbers of a business, um, and just because you, you love it and you enjoy working your heart out in 18-hour days or whatever it is, that if, if you look to the numbers to find out the answers to some of your questions, you might not need to work as hard. Um, I would have saved a, a lot of, a lot of years of lots of hours of work had I known that earlier on. I think. Gotcha. That's great advice. Uh, what's the future hold for VC? Um, well, I think it's limitless. I hope so. Um, I'm pretty excited about our WIFDF contracts and getting to travel all over the world and figuring out how to do business and all these different continents. Um, yeah. So I just like I always think in my head, what do we want to do? We just want to be better, faster, and stronger and continue on that path. 
I like it. Uh, we're going to start wrapping up here, tell people how to connect with you. But before we do that, is there anything I didn't give you a chance to say, Adriana? Um, no, I think we, we covered it. I, I think the main thing is that the, the question I like being asked is why, why do we do this? Um, and my answer uh, over time develops to just be we have the best community in the entire world. Like Ultimate is so special and so unique, and it's just a privilege to get to work with people in this community and, and continue to push forward to hopefully make their experience with our sport better. I love it. Uh, if people want to connect with you, learn more about VC or you personally in the digital world, what's the best place to do that? I'm quite a fan of email, and they may do that in my name, Adriana, A-D-R-I-A-N-A, at vcultimate.com. Cool. Uh, that, along with the website, Twitter accounts, and whatnot, will be linked to in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Adriana, thank you so much for coming on the program. My pleasure, Aaron. Nice speaking with you. As we do in every episode, uh, I'm going to give Adriana the mic one last time to issue a personal challenge for the audience before we sign off. So I, I would challenge everybody, whether it be in your professional or, or personal life, to take just a few minutes every week and say thank you to the people that helped you either be who you are or get where you are. If it's a, a card or an email or a shout out or something like that, we're, we're nothing without the people who support us. So that would be my challenge to you. Fantastic. We love uh, love gratitude. It something I try to practice as much as possible. And I obviously VC has been uh, built on the backs of many helpful hands. So I appreciate you for sharing that. We just went deep with Adriana Withers of VC Ultimate. We'll catch everybody next time. Hey, thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Adriana, for coming on the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. You do not want to miss the upcoming episodes. We've got some of the top financial bloggers in the world. We've got the commissioner of the AUDL. We've got uh, some real movers and shakers across industries that you are going to want to listen to. My name is Aaron Watson. I appreciate all the five-star reviews that have been coming in recently. Really appreciate that. That helps the show grow, gain more attention, and uh, continue to produce these great episodes. If you get the chance, take a minute to go post that on Stitcher or iTunes. I really, really appreciate it. I'll try to give you a shout out in a future episode. It would really mean a lot to me. But regardless, thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time.